Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Rob Reiner's new biopic, LBJ, which charts the life of Lyndon B. Johnson from his young days in West Texas to becoming Senator John F. Kennedy's running mate after losing the 1960 Democratic presidential nomination. Sidelined after the election, the once powerful Senate Majority Leader finds himself and the world changed after Kennedy is assassinated and he is thrust into the presidency. In addition to LBJ, Mr. Reiner's credits include the feature films This Is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, Misery, and Ghosts of Mississippi, and the movies for television Sunny Boy, Likely Stories Volume 1, and Everyday Life. He is a three-time nominee for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film for Stand By Me, When Harry Met Sally, and A Few Good Men. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Reiner spoke with DGA President Thomas Schlamme about filming LBJ. During their conversation, Mr. Reiner discusses how making the film made him reevaluate LBJ as a political figure, why he describes the editing room as the confessional, and why he felt Woody Harrelson was perfect for the title role of the film. Thank you. I'm the president of the Guild, and you got a bigger ovation than me. Well, That's because you made a great movie. But you have and, a chance to negotiate and make sure I have a decent living. Okay. That's um, more important. So, uh, first, congratulations on Thank the movie. you, Tommy. Um, um, yeah. Thank you. I have to say, I saw this movie um, well over a year ago. Uh, Rob had a screening, and I was lucky enough to see it then. And I can tell you, I remember seeing the end of this movie and feeling so incredibly excited and uh, really energized about the possibility of a Hillary Clinton presidency. Uh, <laughs> it's true. And, and it was especially the end of the movie, when I, you think about the end of this movie, and it's uh, Kennedy is, we're just beginning, and uh, Johnson is, let's continue. Kennedy is saying, you know, I give you hope. And Johnson is saying, I'll give you results. And all I thought about was Barack and Hillary. Um, and then history fucked us. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I thought about that, and I thought about that's what history does. It, you know, it's through the prism of what we see right now and who we are. And I think about this movie and you making this movie and your political activism, and you, know, you are in the trenches uh, for so many of the things this man fought for. Um, and I thought about your evolution of, I, I just had this image that maybe, I didn't know you as a young man, but that the words, hey, hey, LBJ, how many babies did you kill today, came out of your mouth at one time in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And then I thought, here's this celebration of this fairly complicated guy. Take us on that journey, you know, of well, how you I got mean, to this. The, 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 you know, that you, you're exactly right. I mean, I was, uh, you know, of draft age uh, during the Vietnam War. So to me, LBJ was the enemy. I, I was against the war and I hated him because he could send me to my death. 
And uh, I marched and, you know, like my mother was part of a, a group called Another Mother for Peace, which is a very famous anti-war group. And they had a, a very famous poster that said, uh, war is unhealthy for children and other living things. And she helped design that poster. It was a very famous poster. So it was in my DNA to, you know, just basically discard this guy. And to be honest, I didn't really think hard about him until somebody said, do you want to make, a, you know, there's this idea for a film about LBJ. There was a script that Joy Hartzler wrote. And I, to be honest, I said, I don't think, I don't know if I want to do this. I really don't. I, I had a certain feeling about LBJ, but I thought about it. I gave it a lot of thought and I, and I thought, you know, I've been active, you know, for many, many, many years in, in politics and, and working on public policy. And I actually had a job here in California for seven years, uh, in the California government. And I started thinking about LBJ as, what he was able to accomplish domestically, you know? And, and if you look at uh, his presidency, uh, maybe second to only FDR, uh, do you have greater uh, domestic uh, policy achievements? And I thought it's really like uh, a tale of two presidencies. I mean, had it not been for Vietnam, I think Johnson would have gone down as one of the great presidents of all time. But we had Vietnam, and you can't take that away. But I, I thought, well, who is this guy? Who is this guy who was so capable uh, and had such a great understanding of the nexus between politics, policy, and government, and how government worked? And who was he? And that guy who also got us, you know, escalated the war in Vietnam. So I, you know, I had read the Caro books. We had, I had uh, actually a. Uh, we had optioned the early uh, Carol book, the, the first Means of Ascent. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, we actually tried to make a film out of it and we couldn't quite get a screenplay that we liked. But I had read the Carol books and then I read this book by Doris Kearns Goodwin and that really gave me the insight into who this guy was and why I said, thought, okay, I can make this movie because there were two things that I kind of teased out of that uh, book. One was that he had this recurring nightmare that he was paralyzed. And he had this dream over and over of being paralyzed. And I thought, that's that's interesting. Here's a guy that you think of as, you know, ag aggressive bull in the china shop, you know, arm twisting uh, to get his way. And yet uh, he was uh, frightened at times and paralyzed. And then I saw that, read this thing about his mother, his relationship to his mother. He had, um, he, he, it was conditional. She only would love him when he was doing the things that she wanted him to do. And she withheld her love at times. And I thought that's fascinating because he grew up thinking that he wasn't loved. And I thought, wow, a politician, because all politicians want to be loved. Uh, approval. I mean, approval rating. I mean, that's what they want is approval. And here was a guy who was frightened to death of not being loved of being paralyzed at times and not being able to make a decision. Once he did, then he was, you know, off to the races. But I thought, well, that's interesting that that's who this guy was. And so how is the, what's the best way to show who he is? Now, if you wanted to do a biography of Lyndon Johnson, you know, you'd 10, 12 hours, you, you'd put on a miniseries and you could cover his entire life. But if you wanted to get to the essence of who he was as a person, I thought the best way in was the way we chose, which is to basically look, it takes place in one week. It's like 
I mean, we do have flashbacks to when he was majority leader of the Senate and we show, <coughs> excuse me, when he was vice president. <coughs> but it really only takes place from the time Kennedy uh, lands at Love Field till the time Johnson delivers that and very once he famous president. Speech. You're in real time. Yeah. That point yeah. It's all real time. So uh, very shortly after he assumed the presidency, I said, so here's a guy who always wanted to be president, always wanted that and was frightened to death of uh, doing it is it has this incredible thing thrust upon him. And he's frightened to death about whether or not he's going to be loved. The Kennedys were loved. They're never going to accept him. And I thought that's the way right. to really, uh, when a man's under pressure, that's where we can show who he really is. Well, let me ask you something in the movie that, that um, and, and it's because I also have read the Carroll books. I'm from Texas. LBJ was, you know, um, uh, a really a mythological figure, both good and bad, um, which I think you capture really well. Um, but, uh, you know, you think a lot about this man and you think about do the ends justify the means? And um, it's, you know, because the the ends were pretty noble. Uh, if you take out Vietnam, the yeah. ends were unbelievably noble. I mean, they were civil rights and social justice and everything that you work for today. Uh, the means weren't always so noble. You know, right. I mean, the truth of it is, he stole the 1948 Senate election. That uh, was the means of ascent. That was the that, first and book. And that's what. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you'd read that, so, so. Just in your own sense of, of you knowing government, how difficult it is, how do you deal with that dilemma in life? Well, it, it, it's, it's you know, that, that, that cliche they always say of, you know, you don't want to see legislation made. Right. It's like watching sausage being made. It's ugly. It's really ugly. But if you have someone who really has the skills to know how that works, you can actually move an agenda forward. But you have to accept that it is ugly and it is the uh, the horse trading and knowing how to soft uh, pedal somebody, how to push somebody hard and do it. And it has to be in your DNA. I mean, if you look at Johnson, he was born in a poor area of, of the hill country, West Texas hill country. He grew up in poverty. He taught at schools that were impoverished. He knew what that was. So when you look at uh, people say, well, he had a change of heart about because about racism and about civil rights. No, I don't think so. I, I reading all that I have read. This guy never thought of himself as a southerner. He thought of himself as a Texan and a westerner. He was more than happy to assume that the mantle of being a southerner to get things done. But when he was talking to Richard Russell, it was different than how he talked to the Kennedys. And he talks about that in the film. Yeah. And you can see when he when uh, when they all come, the southern delegation comes to him and says, finally, we've got a southerner in, you know, the president. And he said, let's pray. And they're all praying. They're all these white guys sitting around praying. And Johnson's looking around like, I'm not one of you. I have pretended to be one, and that's what he was great at. He was great at knowing how to arm twist and how to cajole. And he also knew when you, you know, that's why he screamed at people, I want a goddamn number. Don't tell me it's about 48. I need to know. He's not going to put it on the floor of the, of the Congress unless he knows he can get it passed. And Kennedy couldn't get it passed. There were four, like I say, four presidents were fought. They couldn't get it done. 
Uh, we talked to some journalists who were there on Capitol Hill, and they said there was no way in a million years that Kennedy would have gotten that thing through because it wouldn't have even gotten out of committee. But Johnson realized, and, and, and by the way, even when Kennedy died, Johnson realized, I have an opportunity here. I've got a martyr, and I know how Congress works, and I'm going to get it to work. But even then, he knew he was going to lose the South, the Southern Democrats, and he also knew he needed Martin Luther King on the outside to keep pushing and keep giving him a drumbeat. So the way he was portrayed in Selma, to me, was not wrong. He did not run right away. He wasn't going to put it on the floor until it was there. And he knew he was spending an enormous amount of political capital to get it done. He said, we're going to lose the South for a decade. It turned out to be more than five decades. And we're now still looking at it. Look at it in Alabama. You've got a guy who is a pedophile, and they're going to choose him maybe over a Democrat because the Democrat's worse. And that flipped. That flipped, you know, during the during the Johnson era. Well, they became, the Demo other reason they that, became Republicans. That the ends do sometimes justify the means, because in Selma, uh, right before the Voting Rights Act, uh, there were fourteen thousand white uh, eligible voters, of which nine thousand nine hundred were registered. There were fifteen thousand African Americans in Selma and 325 people were registered. Right. So because of that act that he did, this man might lose that uh, Senate seat, which right. I do believe right. he will lose. Right. But and, and that's why you think, okay, you have to struggle with this morally. Yes, and I, you do in the film, because Yarborough, it's really interesting, your sort of portrayal of Yarborough in the film. I mean, well, he, he was is a, a liberal, man who... He was a liberal. And, and, as in Texas, it was like he was the bastion of liberals. Yeah. He was yeah. the, you know... Um, but he had you, you have this moment that you feel voting your conscience that Johnson thought it was absurd. Yeah. That, well, um, you, 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 you have a conscience, but you only vote when you know you're going to be able to get it done. Un unless you want to be a backbencher your whole life. And that's fine. There are a lot of people whose roles are, you know, I'm going to play in the backbench. I'm just going to, you know, scream at the wind and, and do that. But then there are people who actually get stuff done. And those are the tough people that have to fight in the trenches to get it done. You know, you talk about only those many people registered. I was talking to, you know, at dinner tonight, uh, I made this a movie years ago, uh, Ghosts of Mississippi, and it was about the assassination of, of Medgar Evers by uh, Byron de la Beckwith. And uh, Merle Evers, uh, who was a consultant on the film, uh, gave me this, uh, it was when we were promoting the film on Oprah Winfrey, she gives me this um, uh, poll tax receipt that was in Medgar Evers' wallet uh, the night he was assassinated, still had blood stains on it, and I, and 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 she told me that the reason he carried it around, he was proud of the fact that he had enough money to be able to get, uh, a, you know, to be able to get the the right to vote. And so, yes, it 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 it, it, it has the Southern strategy and all of that has been going on for years, suppressing the vote, keeping uh, people from voting, and. Uh, you know, we saw it even this last year when they stripped uh, a big provision out of the Voting Rights Act, which Johnson right. passed in 65, basically saying, oh, it's all over. There's no more racism. There's no more reason that we have to make sure that uh, blacks have an opportunity to vote.
Well, there you have it. And and now we've got this president and this issues rise right back up to the surface. The weird thing about this, I thought you were going to say, because right. you saw the film before, uh, right. you know, uh, Trump was president. And now it's like we didn't change a frame. It's a different film. Be, you know, because it, it, you look at it through a different lens now. I mean, all that that uh, racism that was kind of submerged. I mean, I listen, I'm naive like anybody. You know, we fought for, you know, I remember where I was when Medgar Evers was shot, not just Kennedy. But, you know, we fought. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had Brown versus the Board of Education. You had uh, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Loving versus Virginia, 1967. Uh, you know, and, 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 and then you had the biggest star on television was Oprah Winfrey and uh, Will Smith, the biggest star in movies. And then Barack Obama, the first African-American president. You think, well, we're on a glide path. This now we're moving. We're moving and to where our country is going to be realized. And then you real this guy comes along and basically with a big bullhorn says, racists, come on out. Come on out and vote. You've been they've been. It was not good to say what you felt. Now, all of a sudden, he's giving voice to all of that racism that lay dormant underneath. And it's, you know, it's original sin of this country. And here we are. But I believe that we are fighting the last battle of the Civil War. It's like we were talking just before we got out here. We were talking about all of a sudden uh, 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 sexual harassment has become an issue. Well, it's been there forever. It's been there forever, but now, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, because of Harvey Weinstein or whatever, now it's something we can talk about. And so hopefully you can move forward and start changing our cultural norms. And I'm hoping that, in a weird way, Donald Trump, not just from the sexual harassment part, but from the racist part, that he actually has caused a good thing to happen in a weird way. I mean, we've got to get rid of this guy before he destroys us too much, but, but, but at least this is now being front and center again, and we're having this conversation. No, I do think bringing all this to the surface. I will also say for the film, there's more than, for me, than just the civil rights issue in the film that you look through the lens of Trump. I mean, the incredible sense of partisanship. I mean, that there is nobody now who could try their best to, to, engage in any legislation that could move forward, yeah. as well as, you know, and look, we did this on the West Wing, you did on American President. There's also a, a, still a, uh, a celebration of the institution. Yes. You know, visually the film is beautiful. It shows that sense of when he goes into that Oval Office the first time. And this man has done so much damage to that also. Right. So you watch the film and sort of go, wow, that, that, man is in that same office it's yes. a really difficult process right know. and and what you think about when you look at who we have there now is is the presidency destroyed is democracy being destroyed well it's being damaged certainly being damaged in a major way through no uh you know no for a lot of reasons and part of it is is russian has russia has in, infiltrated and they're you know eating away at the fabric of democracy but i still believe that if you had a really powerful leader 
come to office, not just be somebody who you can be attracted to and be drawn to, but somebody who has the skills that 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 Johnson had to really understand how government works, to really understand how policy and politics intertwine. We could we could put this country back on the right footing, but it'll take somebody like that because we have been damaged, severely right. damaged by this guy. No, you hope that from all of this. Our, we will write our sails in a much stronger yeah. and much more yeah, yeah. powerful path. Right, you know, right. So, uh, so let me ask you some filmmaking questions. Okay. You know, because we are at the DGA. And yes. I, I just assume. And, I, and by the way, this is the first conversation I think you and I have ever had without food in our mouth. You know, because we go to dinner true. together. It's we're true. We have dinner all and, the time. Um, but, and, um, and you eat very nicely. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you always order good I, I, things. I'm supposed to say the same, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a I'm a slob. I don't, luckily, um, I don't have anything on my shirt. Uh, let's talk about Woody for a second. Yeah. You know, um, did was Woody attached to the film? Did you or did you go? I'm reading all the Caro books. I'm thinking about LBJ. Woody Harrelson. And and that was the thinking because and when everybody he's brilliant. I know he's great. And when people ask me, you know, they said, "What's the film the next film?" I said, "Well, LBJ." And they said, "Well, who plays LBJ?" I said, "Woody Harrelson." They said, "No, what the Woody Harrelson? He can't be that." I said, "Wait till you see the film. Wait till you see what he's able to do." And he was my first choice. I wanted him. Uh, not only because he's from Texas and, and he's got a good sense of humor, which we had some humor in the film, but, but he is, he, he's got humanity and I wanted to capture who LBJ was, not just, like I say, the bull in the china shop kind of guy, but who is this guy? And he has a sensitivity and I knew he could play those scenes that he plays so beautifully. The one with Jennifer Jason mm -hmm. Lee when they're in the bed together. That to me is a crucial scene in terms of, you know, finding out who this guy is. And so I wanted Woody from the, from the get-go. Uh, well, he's amazing. And part of that is that you, you do love him right away. I mean, yeah. here's a guy who's tough and aggressive and, you know, going to the bathroom in front of people. And, uh, and I'm still not quite sure why he needed to shut the door. Because well, because like, he was you taking sooner. I know, yeah, he, but I know he was taking his pants <laughs> no, up, so maybe he didn't want that. No, I just love that he has some line, yeah, somewhere, some yeah, line. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I also think there's a a humanity in Russell too. I think the casting of Jane. I mean, he is. He's unbelievable in the movie, Yeah, Richard too. Jenkins. Uh, yeah, Richard Jenkins, because th that's a love affair. I mean, yeah. that was really, Jenkins was, I mean, uh, Russell was saying, this is the man who's going to take the mantle. He will be. And when he hugged him, it was a really touching moment. Yeah, and, and you didn't feel that Woody was judging it. He felt like, I am in a predicament with somebody yes. that I deeply, deeply care. And that's why I leaned over to you at that last scene between the two of them. I just love that scene. It's a complicated scene. Yeah. It's a deep scene of betrayal. Uh and Jenkins just won't back down. I mean, Russell right, won't back right. down. And, and Russell, Russell uh, was a racist through and through. And he was also like a mentor to LBJ. You know, he was there before LBJ. LBJ came to, uh, to Congress when FDR was uh, president. And he supported everything that FDR uh, was in favor of. And, and Russell did to some degree, but not when it comes to And when you were casting, things. did you think of people looking like people or? Uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit. But, you know, uh, you know, he looks a little bit like I, I try to get 
you know, somewhat. But I mean, you're not going to be able to, you know, you're better off trying to get somebody who can play the part. And I, Richard Jenkins, to me, it's like he's he's what I call an unsweaty actor. And you know what that is, Absolutely. a guy who never pushes anything. It's just all right there and it's all real and it just comes out. And Woody was saying, and this is something as an actor, I always felt like uh, whenever you're playing a scene with somebody that good, it's like, it's like playing tennis against somebody who can hit the ball back to you. You know you're going to get it, you're going to get it in a good spot, and you're going to be able to hit it back. And so you feel you, the, yeah. in those scenes, and with Jennifer Jason too. Yeah, same I'm going to tell you something about Richard Russell, and this is something I try to figure out about him because I read all this stuff about him, and uh, I asked uh, Bill Moyers. You know, Bill Moyers was uh, LBJ's uh, press secretary, and I asked him. I said, I want to ask you something. And maybe tell me what you think. I said, do you think that Richard Russell was gay? And he said, you might be onto something. And I said, well, because first of all, he never married. He was never married. And what I had read is that on Sundays, you know, there were guys who would go back to their districts on the weekend. And there were guys who stayed in town. They didn't have wives. They didn't have people to go see. And every Sunday, Lady Bird uh, would invite uh, he, she'd make a big brunch, you know, and she'd have uh, Richard Russell and uh, Sam Rayburn and uh, J. Edgar Hoover would all come over. And they all had brunch every every Sunday. And so I said, oh, I wear Lady Bird's clothes. Yeah, and wear Lady Bird's clothes, yes. <laughs> so I always thought that. And I don't, and, and I, I did one little thing. It's, it just goes by so quickly in the film, nobody really notices that they're standing up on that catwalk when they're overlooking the planes that are being built, you know. And uh, Johnson's got the picture of uh, Bobby Kennedy on the cover of Life magazine. And he says, he says, damn, uh, you know, number two man in Washington. And he says, and Russell says, don't worry, you know, the attorney general's never become president. He says, well, there's a lot of things these Kennedys do that nobody else has done. And then Russell takes sort of the thing and says, yeah, good looking boy. <laughs> <laughs> he says that, he's a yeah, good looking boy. <laughs> uh the structure of the film uh, was that in the original script? Did it? Did yeah. It, the first half of it was sort yeah, of. Yeah, we had. We knew that we were going to use the the uh, uh, the framework of uh, the assassination. That it was all going to be based around that, and we were going to flash back from the time he lands at Love Field. We flash back, and basically, it's this this arc of him having to assume the presidency. And just from a filmmaking standpoint, and you'll appreciate it because. You always wonder when you're doing something, are you going cheesy? You know, are you doing something that's really cheesy? Why did you say I would know? No, 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 because, no, I'm trying. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you try to pull back totally. from the cheese, you know, but there's that moment and this has actually happened. I mean, he was in that uh, uh, hospital room and that's exactly what happened. They kicked the person who was in the room out. That actually happened. But he's in the hospital room and... Um, uh, Kenny O'Donnell comes in to tell him that, uh, you know, Kennedy has died. And Malcolm, who's, uh, you know, Johnson's uh, press secretary, comes over and, sa and says, uh, Mr. President. And all the eyes turn to Johnson, you know, because all and he's sitting there in the chair. And all of a sudden he realizes I I'm the president now. 
And I put the camera down here, you know, because I wanted him to stand up like, you know, he became the president and he was a big. And I said, I don't know, I do do well, this, I, I but it kind of works. It kinda, I actually wrote, I love that moment. Okay, because it was also the only close-up in a white element. Yes, you had a white element on him, yeah, right so he um, yeah, yeah. it was kind of great. Bigger, he, he great. loomed. Uh, but you weren't thinking when you were shooting, were you trying to make transitions or did you just sort of, I mean, you have the Yarborough, there's a moment where Yarborough's head turns. That we found in the cutting room. Right. That, so we, we, that was things. not something that I had planned, uh, but we did find it in the cutting room where he turns his head and, and it worked. Right. And those things, sometimes you find those things. I, I remember when I did uh, Spinal Tap. Sometimes you design them, too. Yeah, no, no, I know. Well, listen, you try to design them, <laughs> yeah. and, and then sometimes they just, ooh, look at that. Uh, in Spinal Tap, I had a great <laughs> moment where um, they, they, we always had the drummers were always dying in some kind of strange way, you know. And so at one point, they go to Japan, and you see the drummer who's drumming and all of a sudden there's a big explosion and then you cut to there's the other another drummer is there and <laughs> we found the explosion on the other side it wasn't on the first side of the cut it was on the other side there was a pyrotechnic thing that was on stage in Japan and, and and we cut it in such a way it looked like the the guy in the front end uh, got exploded it's so you know movie. you find those little it's things the third movie you make you, yeah the movie that's written the movie you shoot and the yeah movie that you yeah well that's the that's the cutting room is, is the confessional right. where you sit in there. And, and did you change some of the, I mean, and the stock footage, was that also in the? We had most of the stock footage. You know, we, you know, we had certain sections that we knew were going to be, uh, you know, archival footage. And was and there ever a discussion of trying to match that in shooting? No, no, because we, we didn't, you know, we kind of removed it from the film and it was kind of sitting. Sometimes it was on television, but for the most part, it was sitting out uh, by itself. There was one thing we did add. We added the whole section of... Uh, the Freedom Riders. That wasn't in the film where, you know, we see Brown versus the Board of Education. We see people at the lunch counter and the Freedom Riders. That we didn't have in there. We added that later because we felt we needed to add something th to get us back into the, you know, the cars arriving at Parkland. So right. that, that one we found, but the rest were in there, yeah. And historically, the film, for instance, did they watch the Cronkite on the plane? Yeah. Did that happen? Yeah. They all waited for yeah. Kite before. Yeah. Wow. It was very moving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I, I don't, I watched Cronkite. I mean, when I yeah, was a I kid. Yeah, I just didn't know that the, yeah, they yeah. were waiting yeah, yeah. for Cronkite. Yeah, yeah, to sort yeah. of, it was this moment. Yeah, I mean, they didn't wait for Cronkite, but I mean, they did see him. The the the, the TV was on in the plane. Right. But because he had said, you, you feel that in yeah. the film, you know, yeah, because yeah. he's saying, I'm not doing it until the nation yeah. knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, and was, uh, did you have other things in it that you felt that weren't completely historical that you thought? This well, I mean, makes... what you never know I is mean, we don't know what their conversations what they exactly the said. No, no. But but oddly enough, you do know some of it because there are a lot of tapes of Johnson. I mean, when he orders the pants, that's you can hear that recording. And I will say for anyone who hasn't. Um, they are, I remember getting those tapes. When we yeah. were doing West Wing, somebody sent me those tapes, and I would sit in the garage waiting, not going in, because I just yeah. wanted to hear more of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're extraordinary. There's an incredible uh, tape. If you go to LBJ Library, if you're ever in uh, Austin, it's great. It's a great library. And you go there, and you can pick up the phone. There are a bunch of phones, and you can hear Johnson talking, you know, to different people. And one of us, a conversation with uh, Jackie Kennedy, which is unbelievable, a week after yeah. 
uh, Jack died, and it's like an amazing conversation. Sergeant Shriver, do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah, Sergeant Shriver. Well, Sergeant Shriver started the peace, to, the peace the, corps. Yeah. The peace corps. Yeah, he's yeah. saying no, and yeah, he says no. You're doing not take it. You're doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and Sergeant Shriver was basically uh, helped him architect the the uh, Great Society, the War and Poverty, the Head Start program, and and uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and so on. So here's another moment that I really admired as a filmmaker in in there was the staging of the two scenes with the Kennedys back to back where when John comes to ask him to be vice oh, president yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's backlit and they're yeah. very comfortable yeah. and they're sitting in the chair and it's yeah. a beautiful two shot. And then you have Bobby, Bobby. who's just right at the door. Yeah. I'm not letting you come yeah. inside. Yeah, yeah. They're under this sort of light. Yeah. They stay lot. off in the distance. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Lit, so yeah. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, any Johnson see this? Any? Yeah. Well, that was the best thing for me. I mean, the first thing, uh, the first, one of the first screenings we had was at the LBJ library and Lucy Baines was sitting right there in the first row. And I was so nervous. I thought, Oh my God, you know, we're showing her father and her father's relation to her mother. And we finished the film and Woody Harrelson and I walk on stage. There's going to be a Q and A like this. And I'm, the guy starts to ask me a question. I said, well, wait a minute, before you ask me, I just got to hear what is, what is Lucy? Lucy, what did you think of this? And she stood up. I don't know if you know her. She's very petite, very small, and she's a very formal lady. And she got up and she said, the man I saw on the screen tonight was the man I knew. And I went, okay, oh I don't care what anybody else says. I'm fine with that. And then later I talked with her and she said, and you're the first person to ever be able to capture the way my mom and dad were with each other. They were, they were like that with each other. Well, it was probably because it, there was such a soulful nature to Woody and you yeah. did feel an insecurity. You and, did feel and, a guy who grew up in the hill country yes. with nothing. Yeah. And nothing. she was, she was uh, richer than he was. She actually yeah. funded his first campaign. But you know? he got very rich before he became he president. Did. He was the he richest did. person. He was ever like, to, he had like $14 million and had and, nothing. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that I also think, and I think about politics today and the politicians today and him, you know, he saw how government can help people. Yes. I mean, he, he brought electricity to the hill country. There was yeah. no electricity yeah. in the hill country. He brought, so I think clean that air and, and, and clean what water he act. always did for the downtrodden was that he knows it yes. worked. And that's yeah. why, you know, I don't know, I guess he was not racist before, even though he voted well, I mean, strictly that way. But he did but, pass a civil rights but bill, But I know a he crappy knew people one, needed help and yeah. that government can help people yeah. and that that was really yeah. great. Um, well, he came from FDR. Thank you very much, you guys. Uh, what, wait, what? I have one more uh -oh. question. I uh -oh, have wait, one more wait, question. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, so given the fact that we are living in this world that we're living in right yes. now, what's the biggest takeaway for you for the film? Uh, the two takeaways, one is we talked about, which is uh, the fact that now, you know, there's been a lot of great movies made about uh, race relations and civil rights. Uh, Selma was one, uh, 12 Years of Slave. I mean, there's a lot of great, great movies. Uh, and this wasn't intended to be, uh, you know, all about that, as you said. But because of the time we're living in, all of a sudden, this issue becomes uh, hopefully part of the conversation. No film, I don't think, can ever change anything. But it can be part of the conversation. And hopefully that that's one. And the other one is, look, government can work. It can work. And there it is for you know for for somebody who understands how it works to make it work and hopefully people will, will and it can really that. work when people who are there actually yeah. believe in it yes so um, and, and know and read the constitution <laughs> and speaking of believing in it yeah thank you for being Thanks, the filmmaker Tommy. that you thank are you, and for the activism thank that you, you do you bet
Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And stay tuned for more episodes, including Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World and our upcoming Meet the Nominees series, which will feature panel discussions with DGA Award-nominated feature film and documentary directors. Be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.